Well, the Bible ends with an image of a tree. And it's really an extraordinary image because the scriptures tell us that the leaves of this tree are for the healing of the nations. I think it's just exactly what our world needs today. This is a picture of the end of history in a tree with healing leaves for the nations. Uh, but the question, I guess, today is how do you get there when you're in the middle uh, of history? And St. Paul, the apostle, will point us to the man of reconciliation, to Jesus Christ himself. And, and Paul, in the text we'll look at this, this morning, draws a picture of a tree, a tree in the middle of history. And he invites us, his readers, to participate uh, in that healing. Let's pull out a Bible and open up, please, to uh, Romans chapter 11, verses 11 through 18. You'll find that uh, beginning at the bottom of page 921 in the Pew Bible. And I'll have a stand together and read aloud in a moment. But as you turn there, just, just hold on for one moment. <laughs> Deep knee bend there. Thanks for being quick. I, just, I think it's helpful, to, it's helpful as you read this to understand one thing, and that is that the word Gentile is the word that Jewish people at, the, in the, at that time used to describe people of other ethnicities, Gentile. It, 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 literally, the Greek word there is ethnoi, from which we get our English word uh, ethnic. And there were many different ethnicities in Rome at the time of this writing. In fact, you could argue that Rome was the most multi-ethnic city in the whole world at that time, the most ethnically diverse. Uh, in Romans 9 through 11, Paul is writing about his own ethnic people, uh, the Jewish people. And he's really raising the question, has God given up on the Jewish people? And his answer is an emphatic, absolutely not. Uh, but God has a plan, and, there's, and the plan is depicted by this tree. And the, the branches of the tree are, represent different ethnic groupings. Uh, the Jews, yes, but also there are other branches. And these would be people that you would have found in the city of Rome at that time. Ethiopians, Gauls, Asians, Macedonians, Germans. So with that in mind, now I invite you to stand with me and let's uh, read Romans 11, verses 11 through 18 on page 921. When we're done reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, so that if you believe it, you can say, thanks be to God. Listen carefully, you're reading God's holy word. So I ask, have they stumbled so as to fall? By no means. But through their stumbling, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their stumbling means riches for the world, and if their defeat means riches for Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now, I'm speaking to you Gentiles. Inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I glory my ministry in order to make my own people jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If this part of the dough offered as first fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. And if the root is holy, then the branches also are holy. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, a wild olive shoot, were grafted in their place to share the rich root of the olive tree. Do not boast over the branches. If you do boast, remember that it is not you that support the root, but the root that supports you. This is the word of the Lord. 
The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord lasts forever. Please be seated. If the root is holy, Paul writes in verse 16, then the branches are also holy. Uh, so the tree tells us that where Jesus is the root, ethnic divisions are healed. Now, ethnic relations is a major theme in Paul's letter. It's oftentimes overlooked. People oftentimes don't pay much attention to Romans 9 through 11, but it's absolutely integral to the letter. And you can tell by the way Paul begins with his theme statement in chapter 1. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of salvation to all who have faith, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek or to the Gentile. Now, most scholars today understand that Paul is writing principally to a Gentile church, but he's writing about his own ethnicity. He's affirming the place of his ethnic identity as a Jew in this story of God. And he's also, though, pointing out that there are other ethnicities. In fact, that all other ethnicities are implicated in this same story. Most see the tree that he's writing about here uh, as having the trunk of the tree being the patriarchs, you know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And therefore, we shouldn't be surprised that the apostle begins talking about Abraham in chapter 4. And, and, and all the branches of this tree are those who share the faith of Abraham. Uh, notice he talks about breaking off of branches. This does not mean, uh, uh, he's not talking about losing your salvation. It's losing your salvation would absolutely counter to the argument he has made earlier in Romans chapter 8. These branches are not individual people. They're groupings. They're ethnic groupings. So uh, they're, they're Jews, but they're also these other ethnicities that are there. It's the corporate uh, realities, Gentiles, as he says. So there are Jewish branches that don't believe and they'll be broken off, and then there are Gentiles that do believe and they'll be grapt, grafted into this tree. Now, it's true that Jews are a minority in the church, Paul seems to be acknowledging, but God will keep his promise to Israel, and the Jewish people will be grafted back into this tree that was begun with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So ethnic relations are a major theme in this letter. I don't know how it happened exactly historically, but it's become so easy for us to strip Jesus of his own ethnicity and to forget that Jesus is a Palestinian Jew. He has dark skin. And it's easy for us to forget our own ethnicity as we come to this story and that our ethnicity is a part of the beautiful story of God. And so it's important for us to ask the questions that Paul seems to be pressing upon his audience. He's asking them to consider, you know, who's not here and why? And whose church is this? Because where Jesus is the root, ethnic divisions are healed. Now, in Rome, the ethnic divisions were very real. The city of immigrants and conscripts and slaves and merchants from around the world. And it's a major metropolis, but it was divided by tribes and ghettos. And the church itself was divided as well. We don't know for sure how the church in Rome was planted, but the, the most likely cause, as in the dominant scholarly theory, is that the Roman church was established by Jews who came back to Rome after pilgrimage to Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. Like many pilgrims who had come from around the world, Jews from Rome came to celebrate the feast 
And uh, while they were there, they heard these strange and disturbing rumors that a man had come back from the dead, that the Jewish Messiah had arrived to bring reconciliation to the world. And, and stories of this Holy Spirit that had come upon a small group of people and they'd begun speaking different languages, languages from around the world, our uh, languages. And, and some came to faith in Jesus, apparently. They carried the good news of Jesus back to Rome and there they planted this little network of house churches under the nose of Nero. Now in AD 49, I should say under the nose of Claudius, because Claudius was the emperor at the time. But in AD 49, Claudius signs an edict. We call it the Edict of Claudius. And this is mostly a reflection of uh, anti-Semitism in Rome. But it's also partially a response to the, the Roman inability, to, the establishment inability to make sense of the disturbance that was occurring in the Jewish community at the time around Jesus and this claim that the Messiah had come. For example, Suetonius, the Roman historian, writes, since the, this is, so what, what the edict does is it expels the Jews from Rome. The Jewish community is asked to leave Rome. And here's how Suetonius, uh, the, the chronicle, the royal chronicler, uh, uh, explains this. He says, since the Jews constantly made disturbances at the instigation of Crestus, he expelled the Jews from Rome. And Crestus is probably just a corruption or a misinterpretation of the name Crestus. Christ. It's an interesting extra-biblical account, historical account of the impact that Jesus made in Rome at that time. But the Jews are asked, uh, forced, to leave Rome at that time. Now, this was hard on the church because, as I say, it was initially mostly a Jewish church. And uh, we read of, of this exile from Rome in Acts chapter 18, verse 2, where Paul, when he's in Greece, meets a couple, uh, a lovely wife and husband who were Jewish, Priscilla and Aquila. Paul meets them in Corinth because like many, they have, had left uh, Rome at that time. The church that's left behind, therefore, changes dramatically. It changes the ethnic and cultural makeup of the churches. Largely what's left are, are simply uh, Gentiles, different ethnicities. H what they do and how they do them would begin to change. What they eat and don't eat, how worship happens, etc. Now, in AD 54, the emperor Claudius, he dies. Five years later, he's dead. His edict is no longer in force. So Jews, thousands of Jews from around the Roman Empire return to Rome. And of course, this includes uh, believers, followers of Jesus Christ who come back now to this church. But the church is very different from the one that they left. By the way, at the end of Romans, Paul greets Priscilla and Aquila. So by now, Priscilla and Aquila have gone back uh, to Rome, to their home and to this church. But it's not the same church. And for, for the Jews who are returning, they're seeing all these different ethnicities running their church and they're going, who are these people? And for the Gentiles who for five years have been running this church, they see all these Jews come in and they go, who are these people? You know, someone's been sleeping in my bed, growled Papa Bear. Someone's been sleeping in my bed, growled Mama Bear. Someone's been sleeping in my bed and she's still there, exclaims Baby Bear, right? And of course, it's all news to the bear. But here we are with these questions. Now they're forced to ask, well, who's not here and why? And whose church is this? You see, in this moment of division, these followers of Jesus need to understand that where Jesus is the root, ethnic divisions are healed. Of course, ethnic divisions are real here, too. Uh, years ago, uh, an elderly member of UPC was out here on the sidewalk uh, uh, and a car came out of the parking lot. 
And the driver paused, the window was down, and in the nicest possible way, the member uh, looked at the driver, and as they exchanged a greeting, uh, they said, you know, um, in the future, you should know that this parking lot is really just for church use. And the driver blushed and kind of rolled on and pulled out uh, because the driver was actually one of our staff members. <laughs> just so happened that, that his skin was brown. Now, this is a mistake that any of us uh, could make, but it's tragic, isn't it? Uh, unfortunately. It's a, such a painful mistake because in this moment, for the staff worker, the question that's being raised by this comment is, whose church is this? And he's having to draw the conclusion, well, it's not mine. And for the member who, who's wanting the church to grow and to be welcoming to people, has raised the question, who's not here, and come up with the wrong answer, him. You see, but he is here. Now, we're learning from our kindred partners that this is not just a UPC problem, but this is really a human problem. We've been learning from Damascus International Fellowship uh, that the, a multi-ethnic church environment is a very challenging environment for an African-American. If you're black in America, you, uh, throughout the week, from Monday to Saturday, you get subtle and not so subtle reminders that you are other or less than because you live in a culture that predominantly is defined by uh, whiteness. And when you come to church, you want a place where you can rest and recover, recover your sense of identity and your dignity, uh, having faced this headwind all week long. That's why, by the way, uh, in the African-American church, historically, everybody, almost everybody has a title. Have you noticed this yet at Damascus? That we speak of Pastor James Broughton, or we speak of Reverend Chipo, or we speak of uh, Deacon Hobbs because it's a way to assign dignity to one another in this community. Now, from the evangelical Chinese church, we're learning that a multi-ethnic church environment is challenging for Chinese Americans. Because if you're part of an immigrant community, there's a genuine ambivalence around what's commonly called assimilation. As if you're Chinese, you, you absolutely want the same economic opportunities for success and for status in the culture. But at the same time, you'd really like to preserve the richness of your cultural identity and your uh, traditions. And this is why at Evangelical Chinese Church, they actually have six congregations. They have two that are Cantonese and two that are Mandarin and two that are, are English because they want to preserve those cultural traditions. In that sense, a church is a refuge for them as well. These divisions are understandable, and in many cases they are practical, but the bottom line is they are not the plan. They are not the tree that the Apostle Paul is speaking of. As if somehow there, there could be a Chinese table and people eating over there, or an African table, people eating over there, or a Caucasian table, people over there. Jesus is saying, this is not the meal I died for. I died for one table, for this table, a table for all people and all ethnicities. So together... Kindred, we are asking Paul's questions. Who's not here and why? And whose church is this? Because we really believe that where Jesus is the root, ethnic divisions are healed. And Paul is suggesting there's cultural work to be done for this healing. We don't just sit here and wait and let the Holy Spirit do it. We've got a role to play. He describes two cultural dynamics in the church in this text. He calls them stumbling and boasting. 
Stumbling, we see in verses 11 through 12. He repeats the word several times there. It seems to be a particular challenge or temptation for the Jews. And boasting, we see this towards the end of the section we read in verses 17 through 18. This seems to be a particular challenge and temptation for Gentiles, for different ethnicities. To stumble really means to take offense. When the Jews hear that salvation is being offered by God to other ethnicities beyond their own Jewish community, they react with challenge. This is hard for them. And it, it exposes their ethnic idolatry, really, that salvation is only for the Jews, uh, to stumble. Uh, to boast is really to be proud. And when Gentiles saw that they were occupying this place of privilege that heretofore seemed to belong exclusively to Jews, they begin to think of themselves as superior, uh, think of themselves as better even than the Jews through whom their salvation came. And this is another idolatrous ethnic expression, boasting. I, I, I wonder if you notice how bold Paul is being here in the way he writes to his audience. He's really out on a limb. He's calling his readers out to a deeper self-awareness, to think about their own perspective and the way they relate to one another. And this is very hard to do. You may remember the, the, the joke about the two fish saying, what the heck is water? Our perspective is just the way we see, and we're oftentimes unaware of how we see. It's hard work to admit that I have a cultural perspective. I mean, for me, I, I tend to just assume that I see the way everybody else sees, and yet I, I, I don't. I have cultural lenses. And there's nothing wrong with having a cultural perspective unless it becomes an idol, unless it makes you feel when you're around me that you're somehow other or less than. You've noticed that the world around us is changing rapidly, and this is a good thing, just like the kind of change that happened in Rome when the Jews came back to that church. But let's acknowledge we're in a moment of difficulty. It's hard. White supremacy is on the rise, not here at UPC, but in our country and around the world, actually. White supremacy reflects a cultural idol, and it's evil, it's wrong. But can we be honest and admit there is a, a reality behind white supremacy that comes much closer to home? You see, the reality behind white supremacy is that in a changing world where white people have kind of been at the center of the global interaction of cultures, now there's a sense of loss that, that my status, my place, my cultural heritage, and the things that are so important to me in that are, are being threatened somehow by this change. We who are white are feeling a sense of displacement in the world. And by the way, those of us who are of a certain age, church has been a kind of a refuge uh, in a place of change, a cultural refuge. The liturgy, the songs that we sing, the music that we tend to play in worship all kind of remind us of who we are culturally and to a certain extent ethnically. In that case, we can kind of relate to the African-Americans who've known what it's like for a long time to be on the margin of society and to actually use church as a place of affirmation and identity. I personally think this may be why you saw that outflowing of money around the, the cathedrals burning in Notre Dame. Even people who were not religious were crushed by that and were sending large donations because church has been some way that we kind of mitigate the sense of loss that we have in a changing world. We find security culturally. Just a theory. But I do want to suggest 
that, uh, that we pay attention to our ethnic and cultural perspective because no one is immune, as Paul suggests, from stumbling and boasting. Now, the good news is Paul's very practical in offering his readers a third dynamic, a third cultural dynamic, and that's acceptance. It's an alternative to stumbling and, and uh, boasting. You see it in verse 15 of chapter 11. Uh, Paul uses a word that he only uses here in the New Testament. It's translated acceptance by the New Revised Standard Version. It's, it's translated receiving in the King James Version. And there's a related word in chapter 15, verse 7, where it's translated welcome. Acceptance, receiving, welcome. Literally, the word means receive towards. It's a compound word of receive and towards. And I, I get an image, kind of a mental picture here of this, uh, of, of receiving. It's about opening your arms. Someone who's receiving is opening their arms. And, and between their arms, they're creating space for the other. And to move towards is to displace self at the center of where, where one is, to displace one's self, move from that location towards the other. So this is kind of an opening of space for the other and then moving toward the other. Interesting to think about this as an image for cultural engagement inside the church. Acceptance. An African-American woman comes occasionally to UPC, usually when Pastor Aaron is preaching and Pastor Aaron has asked her to join us. And she says, you know, I love UPC. I love the people there. And I love the, what you guys are doing there. But I keep wondering when I sit there, when the worship's going to start, you know, <laughs> right? I mean, I totally get that. Uh, you know, in an African-American church, worship hasn't happened until people are literally dancing in the aisles with joy. It's very participatory. In a European church, it's uh, not even starting until you can hear that proverbial pin drop. The silence is so sacred for us, right? And so what do we do about this? Well, acceptance, I think Paul is saying. Uh, open up cultural space in our midst and move towards others. You know, our mission is not to acculturate our neighbors. It's to love them. It's not to make them fit in here, but it's to help us be adjusting so that they feel at home here. How do we do this? I, I want to say, first of all, that you're doing a great job. This is exactly what I've seen you doing over the last year. And I think the Holy Spirit's doing something wonderful. And it's very hard and it's very disruptive. But here's the work this text is calling us to do. It's to wrestle with these questions. Who's not here? And why? And whose church is this? How can this be my church and your church and their church and most of all, his church. And there are no easy answers to this. You know that. But I want to urge us to keep wrestling in the, in the, in the tensions. Uh, and we'll, we'll take this up again when I return with you later in August. But let's just agree that Jesus is the only one who can bring ethnic reconciliation. This is the good news of the gospel. Where Jesus is the root, ethnic divisions are healed. And yes, Jesus is the root you want to see that exegetically, uh, you flip over to Romans chapter 15, and you look at verse 12, where actually Paul refers to Jesus as the root, the root of Jesse, who's rising over all ethnicities. And here in our chapter, in verse 11, chapter 11, in verse 15, Paul describes Jesus as the one who has acted definitively for the reconciliation of the world. And he says when reconciliation is complete, in verse 15, and the tree is full, it'll be like life from the dead, which, it, which tells us who's really 
doing the work. It's a work of reconciliation. It's a work of Jesus. And the reason is that grace, radical grace, uh, is what's needed for reconciliation. This is, by the way, the story of the whole letter. You know this. We've been going over this now. It's all about grace. Radical grace, by the way, means grace at the, a grace at the root. That's radical grace. It's grace at the root. And you see, it's grace that's so essential to this acceptance, this cultural dynamic, because grace humbles me when I'm proud, and it lifts me when I stumble. See, it undermines these other two dynamics. It secures me so that I can open my arms and move towards others with acceptance. Because at the point of grace, we are all the same. Amen? I want us to practice that, because Pastor Aaron will be preaching next week. <laughs> so let me try that again. At the point of grace, we're all the same. There we go. We can do it. We've all got grace at our roots. Where Jesus is the root, ethnic divisions are healed. And let me just close with a word of affirmation because Jesus is doing this work right now at UPC and I can see it and I, and I hope you can see it. The way you've been engaging with our kindred partners, the way that you've been engaging with one another here across lines of culture and ethnicity, the way that you have received leadership from Polly Yorioka and Pastor Aaron Williams, the way that you're opening up to ethnicities. I honestly believe that what happened several years ago on that sidewalk couldn't happen today. I think it'd be highly unlikely to happen. So let's end with this. Romans chapter 11, verse 20, if you just look down the page, you'll see Paul has an admonition. I'm gonna invite us to do this literally. He says, let's not become proud, but stand in awe. I wanna invite you to engage with me out of the the, the cultural language of the African-American church. You may have caught this. In the African-American church, we offer a hand clap of praise to God, using your body very physically to praise God. Would you be willing to do that with me? And if so, stand. If you're feeling grateful for what God is doing in our midst, please rise to your feet to stand in awe. And uh, I'm gonna read from the scripture. Let's applaud. Let's give thanks to Jesus Christ for his work in our midst. And listen to this. After this, I looked, and there was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, robed in white with palm branches in their hands. They cried out in a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who is seated on the throne, and to the Lamb. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the streets of the city. On either side of the river is the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit each month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Amen. Thanks be to God. Amen.